Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Kim Grinnells of dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. We are going to try it again after technical difficulties, kind of like the football team. We had a podcast ready to go for game day that got screwed up we had a podcast ready to go post game that got screwed up so we're here early morning on uh, saturday with football on in the background coffee in my cup so hopefully that kicks in at some point and uh, i might have to step out here or there if i get a couple of phone calls that i'm expecting back so uh, stay with us but tough loss last night 40 to 13 washington state just basically ran all over washington passed the ball all over washington and I don't know about how you guys feel, but, you know, we've been doing this a long time and losses typically don't get to me that much. I'm always, you know, just move on to the next. Last night, it just kind of lingered. I woke up this morning and last night's just kind of bothered me with a lot of things and the way things went. And, um, you know, the bright point is that uh, we got to see the debut of Sam Hewitt as a starting quarterback. Chris, I know you have some thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I, I I have some thoughts because I I was kind of curious as to what the motivation would have been. You know, I was very curious to see what Bob Gregory was going to say post game about it, and he you know basically said they did it to to get a spark. And you know, my feeling on that is okay. I generally speaking, yes, the offense needed a spark all season long. There's been something that's really been missing, and it's really been mostly missing on the offensive line and in the run game. But if you if you felt a need that that a change of quarterback was going to do it because you didn't think Dylan Morris was getting the job done, that that's fine. I get that. But after he throws for a career high at Colorado, he throws for 380 some yards. And yes, he did have the interceptions, but um, it just I just found the idea that they needed a spark at that particular time very confusing. Um, they could have used a spark, you know four or five weeks ago, six weeks ago. But when the offense goes for 400 and some yards against Colorado and looks like they, you know, the only thing that's stopping them from moving the ball is themselves. They were 14 of 21 on third down, uh, third downs at Colorado. And then Gregory talks about how them not being able to sustain drives was a huge part of last night's game. The, the just the whole response just seemed really really confusing to me because I don't in general I I don't necessarily disagree with what he's saying but it the timing of it just seems so off to me and I maybe you guys have thoughts on that yeah my main takeaway from what you just said Chris I think you're putting too much uh, credence into Bob Gregory saying they needed a spark because you know as well as I do coaches aren't always telling us the truth and I think there was a lot more to it than that um, Scott your thoughts. Well, my my thoughts is I didn't mind seeing Sam Heward out there, but um, I thought the game plans were just very questionable. You know, offensively, they 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 just continue to run some of the same things. Um, you know, the the offensive line still looks like just it's a complete disarray. Couldn't handle the pass rush, and, and Washington State's a very active front four, front seven. That that they play front three, whatever that you know, whatever they're playing that that day. But um, they're they're very active, so I understand that they were going to be a little harder to block than maybe a team that just rushes with four and and does their thing. But defensively, I just I don't get it. Yeah, I, we can I, get into the defense here in yeah, a little bit, but, but you know, with but, that with yeah, that offense, the game, Scott, the game it, plan. It, hold on, the game plan on both sides. Just if you're going to have a a true freshman come in and play, I, I just I don't get why that was the game plan you decided to run. It's the same game plan that they've had pretty much all year that's been ineffective. And I don't know how hard it is to really start and try to change things. But, you know, the opening pass, what was it? You know, a quick out to uh, Odunzi with a Odunzi for th- two yard loss. 
you know, two yard loss. And then they try another quick out and I get, you're trying to protect the quarterback, but I don't know, you know, just the, the quick outs and it's just scared to, you know, Jimmy Lake always talked about being aggressive and, you know, this is the least aggressive offense I've ever seen. I mean, it's the most passive scared offense I've seen. And, you know, I, I don't buy the getting a spark thing from Bob Gregory at all. I understand that, you know, he's got to say things, but we're not always going to know what's going on, but I think kind of the pressure has been building to start Sam because I think it's pretty obvious that he's the future quarterback and let's just get him some experience and pay dividends for next year. And I think that's a lot, you know, uh, on what was going on, but you know, if you're going to put a freshman quarterback back there and his first start in a game like the Apple Cup, you at least have to be able to run the ball. And I still think that this offensive line is way better than the talent. But, you know, they had, what, uh, 14 carries for 10 yards, was it, Scott? Yeah, well, you know, like I mentioned last night, it it, it was 25 yards was lost by Sam Heward on that. Bat. You know, they lost 15 on a bad exchange. Then he suffered a sack as well. And, you know, that that's going to put put the number down at 10 but that's still only 35 yards on 12 carries i mean that's not even three yards a carry we had a couple of nice carries by um kamari pleasant and then sean mcgrew and sean mcgrew mentioned i don't know if you guys picked up on this he mentioned that he had some pins and surgery on his hand last week and sean's out there giving it his all uh cam davis was um in a boot uh on the sidelines taj davis had it looked like he had a knee brace on but I'm I'm just baffled by the performance of the offensive line this year, and I can't believe it that bad. And it's just maybe I'm off base, but I just think that just it's a poor, poorly designed offense, and half the time it looks like they don't know what they're doing because of yeah. the offense. Yeah, it, it it did. It all season long, it looked like a, a unit that was completely confused on what they were supposed to be doing. Their assignments, they blew many blocking assignments. They blew blitz pickups, all that different stuff. Um, some of that's on the quarterbacks, but some of that, a lot of that is on the offensive line. They're, they're the one who's supposed to be doing it. And I saw, um, offensive linemen getting pushed back into the quarterback several times. These are things we didn't see happen very much. And I don't know why that has changed. So I've got to believe that it has to do some with the, with the scheme, but also with some of the coaching, because it's not like these players have gotten worse athletically. And they were effective as a unit uh, under Scott Huff, you know, in 2017, 2018, 2019. They were all they were effective and they were even a, a little effective last season. So why is it so bad this year? I don't know. Chris, the defensive scheme, this defensive scheme seems like maybe they found it uh, back in the old archives and pulled it out uh, and decided to run the defensive scheme when they had Danny Shelton, Shaq Thompson and. <laughs> and uh, and Hauli Kikaha, you know, it seems like they decided to run that, you know, where they had three defensive All-Americans to run the same scheme, and it didn't seem to work this year. Well, and last night specifically. No, they well, but that's they've always run the, the that three-man front when they were running against the air raid, and when they had you know Vita Vey and Greg Gaines and 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 those guys, you know, and 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 it's just they they've done that before and and when you can get a moderate amount of pressure with three guys on five and and really play cover eight and just confuse the heck out of the the quarterback's eyes you can get away with that when you're running air raid but when you're running run and shoot you're you're going to give up over 200 yards on the ground if you run a cover three you know cover eight and that's exactly what they did they gave up 209 yards on the ground and 245 through the air and, and Bob Gregory, again, whether you take him at his word or not, admitted that, you know, they were late to, to switch into more of the four man front. And, um, and again, that, that, that's kind of a microcosm for their run defense all year long, slow to make decisions, slow to react, slow to change. And when you've got former players like Buda Baker out there saying, you, you need to put more pressure on the line. You can't, you can't do this. I mean, when those players are out there basically calling out the coaches, you know, it's bad. Yeah, and on the sidelines, you know, the term that I kept on hearing last night was um, emotionally spent. You know, the guys just looked like I, they were putting in the effort. Um, it just looked like, you know, here we go again, especially after Washington State, you know, on their first drive. You know, the first couple of plays, it looked like they were able to going to be able to start Washington State and stop Washington State and have a little bit of momentum. But then right after that, you know, the long conversion on third down and they just marched down the field and. Boy, that was pretty much all it rode. They had a difficult time stopping Washington State. 
Well, the problem the problem I think is is that ultimately when you play that three man front, even even if Jaden Delora was playing air raid and Mike Leach was still there, you've got a quarterback that not only was extremely accurate, he was twenty seven to thirty two, but he was what he was. He, I think he'd only missed maybe like one pass by half. I mean, he was he was on fire. I mean, he was he was getting anything he wanted. And that was because the three guys up front weren't getting any sort of pressure. And on top of that, if they did start to get some pressure, he was able to use his his feet and escape and make positive yardage just with his feet. I mean, he wasn't you know he only ran three times according to the stats, but he averaged you know over ten yards a carry with those three carries. That's a great safety valve. You know, if you're Jake Dickert and you you know that, uh, you know, Washington's going to try to sit there and confuse him and try to use uh, their, you know, at that time, you know, number one pass defense in the country, try to try to really confuse him and get after him. And, and they were never able to do anything against Delora because he was in rhythm. He was in flow and and basically was able to do anything he wanted. Scott, I, I'm sure he got hit a couple of times, but boy, I'm having a tough time remembering it. I'm, I just have this vision of him last night just standing in the pocket and looking to his left, looking to his right, looking in the middle, looking at his feet, looking at the sky, looking at the air, and then Reading finding an open receiver. Piece. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I questioned it all game long. I, I mean, I was sitting up there, and Chris, you, you and I have been up in the press box when Softy loses his stuff. Right. And he's just going bananas. I wasn't on that level, but I was more animated in this game than I've probably been up there. I just watching what they were doing, how they were backing off two of the best cover corners in the country. They were backing them off and just giving Washington State 10 yard completions whenever they wanted them. And it's kind of like I, that old saying, you know, why they did, you, you want to know why they did that? Well, they've been doing the, it all season. They've been doing it all they season. could. Because yeah. they've been doing it all season. Yeah, I, I just, you watch it and you're just like, this is the last game. <laughs> Would you rather lose 40 to 13 and just be killed by your scheme and deciding to go just allow them completion after completion and, and not really challenge them at all until they get in the red zone? Or would you lose rather lose 49 13 or 49 20 and maybe be a little more aggressive and you got beat over the top a couple times i i it's so much harder to complete a long pass than it is a short pass and i guess a quarterback is not known to throw the deep ball he's going to cut you underneath the whole game and they're still giving him all that okay go ahead. this is taking nothing away from Jaden delara i i think he's a heck of a quarterback he's probably their best quarterback from a leadership standpoint I'll probably say since uh, since um, you know the you know maybe Ryan Leaf. I mean, he from a leadership standpoint, he didn't. He's not going to put up the stats that that some of Mike Leach's guys did, but his leadership and ability to use his legs and do what he can that way, it's it's such a different look for Washington State, and I think he's going to be he's going to wind up being a very good quarterback for them over the next couple of years. Yeah, just hard to watch a lot of what was going on. Like I said, offensive line, uh, running backs, the wide receiver. We'll talk about Sam Heward here shortly, but defensive line, linebackers. And I didn't see much out there to be excited about or even to be happy about, you know, uh, other than your defensive secondary. And they had their moments as well, too. Well, what I find interesting is that even if Jimmy Lake had been there and was still the head coach, I just get the sense that they would have probably tried to run the same scheme. Because they just are so stubborn and arrogant about it, and they just think they can stop that kind of that kind of spread attack. And it's clear that what Washington State is running with the run and shoot, and and what Nick Rolovich implemented is very different than what Mike Leach would have done. Mike Leach basically just had one kind of run, and that was a draw, sprint draw, whatever you want to call it, but just the little thing off the off the um, the, the read zone, and that was pretty much it. And that's when they got close to the goal line is when they would start running it and you could just stack the box and go to town. And you you couldn't do that against these guys. You couldn't do it. And on top of it, Washington, they have not really won the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball all year long consistently. And so it did not take much for Washington to not just control Washington's defensive front, 
because they're just, you know, they had a numerical advantage against them basically all game. But then even on offense, they just were quicker to the point and were able to create havoc with with guys that were, I guess you could consider them lighter guys, but they were guys that were actually motivated and, and they got the job done. And Washington's front just looks slow and lethargic and like they basically have all season long. We talked earlier about uh, Sam Heward's first start, but uh, Scott, give me uh, impressions of Sam Heward last night. Well, uh, he looked like a freshman who had only played five series all season long, and three of those series were three and outs. So you're you're talking about a guy who had less than 25 snaps of college football going into a start in a in a very tough environment against a good Washington State team in a rivalry game. A lot of emotions. Washington in the middle of their turmoil and coaching search and trying to find that new direction. And Washington State in the middle of their own turmoil, but playing well. Possibility of winning the Pac-12 North if Oregon State beats Oregon today. And then, you know, Washington um, throws him in there against a team who also, besides all that, has lost seven straight. You don't think that sticks in the craw of some of these guys? I mean, they have a countdown clock in their in their locker room. I just, I you know, Chris made a great point at the beginning, and I don't disagree with it, although I was one who was like, if you're going to start Sam here, just start him now. Let's see what it looks like. But I thought it would be a better performance from everybody. But... It just throwing it is very question throwing him in there like they did was very questionable. And then then you have softy Greg Lewis and and uh, Dick Baird coming out and saying, you know, talking about how, okay if he looks great, it sends you into the offseason. You can sell the fact that we've got a five star quarterback ready to go. He's he's finally going to get in there and have some reps. And then but what happens if he craps the bed? Well, I wouldn't say he crapped the bed. It wasn't all on him. but that is not a good showcase for what if Washington wants to showcase that to other recruits or or head coaches that hey look what we can bring you in and and what you're going to have available you just ha- saw a guy throw four interceptions and you saw a guy who couldn't barely move the team and you saw a guy who couldn't move the team enough until they got their first they didn't get their first first down until 4 to 33 was left in the second quarter a, a horrible look for Washington and I'll, I'll just totally disagree with you, Scott. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you're going to put Sam in a position like that, guy's got to help him out. He just didn't get a lot of a lot of help from his wide receivers, his running backs, or his offensive line, and most of all the scheme and the play calling. But, uh, you know, and I think I know Sam uh, better than most um, out here, and uh, I think he's got the type of temperament where this is probably going to motivate him more. I mean, when we go back and look at Justin Herbert's first start against Washington, you know, what happened and it was a disaster. And I could, you know, probably see that as well from Sam Heward. But, um, you know, Chris, you take a look at them throwing him in there. I don't think they put him in a position to succeed. No, they didn't. And that's why if they were going to try to maintain his red shirt, which they have, thankfully, but if they were going to do that, they should have played him at Colorado because the bottom line is Washington State was was going to be incredibly motivated to win that game on Saturday. And they had every reason to do so. Washington had no motivation. They should have played the guy that was going to give them the best chance to win. And that was Dylan Morris. And that was always going to be Dylan Morris. I don't care what those players or coaches or anyone else says about it, but you cannot bench a kid that just threw for 380 plus yards and ran an offense that went for 425 or whatever it was. Because the bottom line is that tells you, first of all, they're never going to get any run support. They got 10 yards on the ground, guys, yesterday. 10, 10 yards against Washington State. Against a team that was allowing hundred and almost 180, right? Right. So that, that'll tell you the offensive line's not going to help you. The running game's not going to help you. In what way, shape, or form is putting out a true freshman in the in-state rivalry game ever going to make a, a good look? To anybody, let alone, you know, a coaching staff that's going to get blown out because we were asking all week, guys, we were asking, you know, Kim, you asked Bob Gregory, is this is this the game where you throw the kitchen sink? You, you asked him on Monday and he's like, well, we're just, you know, we'll see, you know, you, you're going to have to come to show up and, and, and see. Well, it was very clear from the very beginning 
as you said, Kim, they were scared. They were frightened. And I'm sorry, but isn't the next man up philosophy the idea that it, if, if the next guy has to come in, they have been prepping, they have been given the same game plan and can do the exact same things because they've been you know tasked with understanding the scheme and how to run that offense from the very, very beginning. Basically, what I'm saying is, is if you're going to ask Dylan Morris to do X, Y, and Z, you should be saying that Sam Heward can do X, Y, Z. And clearly from the game plan right from the start and the plays that they called, you could tell they did not have the same comfort level that that Sam Heward could do X, Y, Z compared to what Dylan Morris is capable of doing. And that's why I don't understand why they made the decision to play him on Saturday. If they were going to play him in one of the last two games, they should have played him in Colorado. And I you know really don't sound like that's going to sound like, you know, backseat play calling and backseat coaching and all that. But to me, it makes total sense because Colorado had nothing to play for. Well, Colorado this goes had nothing to play for. This goes all the way back to the Arizona game. You know, it's just when I mean, we'd heard all week to expect Sam Heward to get anywhere from two to four series. And then he gets in for one series and hands the ball off. Uh, you know, uh, four out of the five plays or five out of the six plays. And, and then they, you never see him again, you know, and if you're going to put him in, put him in with something that's meaningful, you know, and of course, Jimmy Lake was still, you know, the, the coach and trying to save his job at that, you know, time of the year, you know, point of the season. But, you know, when you say you don't understand the decision, I, I understand the decision not to play him in Colorado, but uh, you know, if not playing him in Colorado, yeah, I still see the decision to play him in Washington state. This week, they probably should have played him at Colorado uh, last week and had a little bit uh, of a more soft landing for him. But, you know, he had four interceptions. I'm not putting those all on him, but I did see some good things from Sam Heward as well. Um, you know, the um, uh, the long ball, the long ball was his specialty last night. Well, he threw some over the middle, too, that I thought were pretty good. And I think, you know, that you've got to put something on the receivers and not then, again, the offensive line not giving him the time. And then, uh, you know, the pass rush from Washington State allowed because you just couldn't get the running game going either. Yeah, I think I, I think I think history will be kind to Sam Heward in time. I don't yes. I don't I don't that's not going to be a problem for him. I, I get that totally. And you're right. There is no way you can put all four of those interceptions on him. You could put a couple of them absolutely on him, but the bottom line is the coach's job. What is their, what is their first, second and third jobs to put players in positions to be successful? You cannot make an argument to me that tells me that those coaches put Sam Heward in a position to be successful in no way, shape or form. And I probably would have told you that pregame because, because the bottom line is, You've got one team with Washington State that was incredibly motivated to win that game. You you read the comments from from guys like Max Borgie post game how they hate the Huskies, absolutely hate them with a passion. And and then you go back the week before you're playing on the road. I get that, but again, you know if you're doing this for the future, Sam Heward's going to be playing as many road games as he's going to be playing home games, so that shouldn't be a problem. You're playing a team in Colorado that has nothing to play for, absolutely nothing to play for. The the, the road atmosphere is not going to shouldn't bother them, yep. shouldn't be an issue, and 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 you know you're not going to get any help in the run game. You're not going to get any help with the offensive line, so you might as well just try to figure out something, because nothing is going to change in terms of those two things between Colorado and Washington State. Because you could have made an argument to me honestly. Like if Bob Gregory had come out post game and had said, guys, the reason why we played Sam Heward in the Apple Cup was because we needed that extra week to really get him ramped up. And we really felt like he gave us the best opportunity to win that game. That's not what he said. He said he, they needed a spark. That's like that's like hope is a Chris. Come on. You're really believing that. Come on. No. Well, I'm trying to take him at his at his word. I mean, OK. If you don't, Kim, if you want to be cynical, if you want to be cynical and, and not believe in anything that, that Bob Gregory said, I get that. I have no problems with that. But, but then all we're doing is if you can't believe anything that he said, I'm not saying then we anything. are I left to our that. own devices to try to figure out exactly what they were thinking. And none of it is positive. 
Hey, you know, just uh, moving on, Scott, uh, we were remarking last night and, uh, you know, down on the field, it was definitely bad, but I guess you could even get it in the press box. Uh, Were we at a Grateful Dead concert last night? Oh, I know. It was, it was so bad. That is the worst I've ever smelled it in Husky Stadium. It was, it was literally like we were at Hempfest. It was terrible. I, it's, it's halftime, you know, they're running out. So the small stops. He looks, he goes, what the hell? Yeah. I, and I'm looking up in the stands and I'm seeing like four guys with wazoo jerseys on with big old blunts, blunts blowing smoke. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Well, I, I smelled it the entire walk in from, cause we, where we park is, is over by the hospital. And I smelled it the whole way in, and I was like, what? Did a skunk die? I, I hate the smell of stinkweed, okay? I hate it. And that's what that is to me. And so I hate the smell of it in the first place, but I smell it the whole walk in. I get up to the press box, and it just wafts in the entire game. And, I mean, no wonder I had that second cookie. I mean, it was <laughs> – it was. usually I don't because those cookies are big that they have up there, but, man – that uh, that was really bad. You want to know something that's even crazier, Scott? What? Guess, guess who was on the sidelines shooting photos on the sidelines at Husky Stadium on the Washington who? side? Who? Police captain, Adrian Diaz. Yeah. <laughs> Seattle chief of police, Adrian Diaz. And there was more security there, but I've never been at a football game and smelled that much weed ever, ever. It yeah. was like... It was like Ted Nugent, 1978, in the old Coliseum. Yeah, it was <laughs> so, bad. That was bad. Yeah, I was just wondering if you kind of noticed that. And uh, post-game, Washington State fans uh, stormed the field, and uh, I almost got run over a couple of times. And uh, Jason Delora got handed a flag, and he didn't just place it at the 50-yard line. He took it all the way back and just planted that sucker right yeah. on the I right love, on the I love these line. guys trying to plant it on a uh on yeah, a turf field. Yeah, a turf so, field, yeah. But you know, that's that's almost a decade worth of frustration from that program. I I understand. I not a great look from their quarterback, but who's going to stop it? There were 5 to 7,000 people on the field. How many Cook fans were at the stands last night? Oh, well, I mean, they they listed it at 68 a little over 68,000. At, on at the stadium, I would say at least half were Washington fans or were Washington State fans. Yeah, no, so it, I mean, it, every time they try to go Huskies cheer, I heard more Cougs than Huskies. And no, it was bad. It was loud, and and the Cougs, um, you know, my guess is there was probably somewhere between twenty five and thirty thousand Cougar fans there. Yeah, no, like I said, crazy with the amount of kook fans in there, the amount of weed smell that was in there. We'll see if that happens again next year and then uh, the post game. But, you know, I don't have a problem with, you know, planting the flag and storming the field and all kind of. I think that's what college football is about, and especially a rivalry game. Throw a little juice into it for next year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, as long as as long as no one gets hurt, that's 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 exactly what should be happening. And the, and and Scott, I gotta say, <laughs> you may think it's a bad look for Delora to do what he did. I guarantee you, there is no Washington State fan that's gonna give a hoot about that. They're oh, gonna no, love it. I They're understand that. I understand the Cougs. It. I understand the Cougs. I just, I I don't think that's the greatest look in the world. But whatever, it is what it is. I, I mean, do do you think would I mean? I wouldn't expect a Husky to do that at Washington State. Hey, why? Hey, Washington State's I'm offensive not under Coach coordinator. I, seriously, I Washington, Washington State's offensive coordinator tweeted out after the game. He tweeted out a picture of Jimmy Lake with the run the damn ball hat, and he goes, yeah. "I got it, Coach. I figured it out." Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, I mean, trust you know me, what? these that's, guys that's were going to milk that for everything right they That's could. some good smack talk right there. But I, oh yeah, I, no, they I were going to milk it for everything I they could. I wouldn't have expected Washington to do that flag thing at Oregon and you know that this is the equivalent for them hey what I want to know what I want to know guys is was this sneaky by Washington to lose like this to like force Washington State to have to hire Jake Dickert full-time hmm. no. we can get into the coaching search in a minute no. but, uh, no. that, that'll be one that we'll talk about for sure but let's go ahead and get into the coaching search it's Saturday we got football games we got a lot of Stuff going on next week is championship weekend, and there's all kinds of stuff going on um, 
you know, percolating right now in the coaching search. And I'm expecting Washington to uh, be, do something here pretty quick. I'm guessing something will get done today or tomorrow and possibly an announcement as soon as tomorrow, Monday or Tuesday. But, you know, from everything I'm hearing, this thing's going to get done here pretty quick as they're winding down. It so. absolutely needs to. Absolutely. Yeah. Be done. Yeah. And, and I, you know, Kim, there someone put a rumor on the message board that uh, and they that they can confirm that uh, flight to Ames happened yesterday. I can confirm that Jen Cohen was at Husky Stadium last night. Yeah, but that was at night. He this person said it was in the morning. Um. Yeah, I can. can yeah, you're not going to drive fly to Ames, Iowa, and get back and be on the sidelines of Husky Stadium at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I I have a hard time believing that happened. Yeah, no. And I, um, I don't believe they've I I don't believe they're they're going after Matt Campbell anyway. I think they're I think they've got their eyes turned to someone else. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll do what we did last night that didn't work. You know, you t- both you guys, Scott, you know, Chris, you weren't there, but um you know, I've been following the coaching search heavily and I've been talking to a ton of people, just a ton of people. So shoot a name at me and I'll tell you where things stand and my impression and give you some rumors or whatever you want, but somebody shoot a name at me. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley is going to be interesting because you've got Scott Woodward, the former um, athletic director here at Washington. And then he went to uh, Texas A&M and signed Jimbo Fisher to a big contract. He's now at uh, LSU and he still has an opening down at uh, down at LSU, which may be the biggest opening so far. He doesn't have anybody, and those who have been around Scott and followed him know that he likes to make a splash and sign long-term deals. He signed Lorenzo Romar to a seven-year deal. He blew everybody out of the water by giving Jimbo Fisher uh, a seven-year contract, which, you know, 10-year contracts in the last couple have been signed, you know, seem to be the norm. But uh, Scott Woodward doesn't have um, – a coach down at LSU yet. And, you know, rumors rampant on the internet yesterday that he's willing to, he's got a Brinks truck somewhere that he's going to back up. And the rumors yesterday was he was going to back it up to Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, you know, and if that uh, Oklahoma job was to open up, I think that's definitely a job that Dave Campbell would be interested in. But, you know, I've got really good sources down at USC that say that that deal is done at USC and expect that to be announced on uh, Sunday or Monday. So, uh, you know, my guy says, well, if LSU is going to back that Brinks truck up, they better hurry up because US, uh, USC is coming. But then another really great source of mine talking about the athletic director at Oklahoma and uh, the type of guy he is. And he says he's not going to let money get in the way. And if Scott Woodward's going to, you know, uh, back up a Brinks truck that uh, Oklahoma's got one ready to go and a little bit more. So I think that Oklahoma job and LSU, uh, what Scott Woodward is going to do, I think is going to have some heavy reverberations throughout college football and um, expect something to happen soon on that. So, okay. Well, well just, just, just to make sure people understand you you were talking about Matt Campbell, not Dave Campbell, Matt Campbell. Yeah, I'm not I sure know. who Dave Campbell is, but we're talking about Matt Campbell. I always, yeah, I call him Dave Campbell. I call uh, Kalen DeBoer. I call him Matt DeBoer. So I just kind of got those in my brain. Another, give me another name. Um, my my name um is gonna go be Justin Wilcox. And Justin Wilcox, I think, is somebody that Washington has kicked the tires with, and a lot of people just are sour on Justin Wilcox based upon his record. But if you take a look at his first two years at Cal, he actually did a pretty good job, and then had a. I'll get that later, you guys. Well, do I take this? Should I take it? Should I step out? You want? Yes. Yes. Fetters and I can riff. <laughs> All right. Well, I would just, I mean, J- Justin Wilcox is definitely. Give me two minutes. Give me two minutes, guys. Okay. Yeah. I, Chris, let's talk about Justin Wilcox. Yeah. No, I just think it's interesting to me. And this, this goes more to philosophy than, than actually about Wilcox specifically. But I just feel like 
the way Washington has gone, and especially with how poorly things have gone offensively, it's first of all, it's hard not to think of Jen Cohen wanting to go offense first, like an offensive mining coach as opposed to a defensive mining coach. That would make sense, right? But the other thing is, even even if Justin Wilcox was an offensive guy, let's say that, it still kind of begs the question, are they going to want to go after a guy who is going to have to go ahead and have to hire a coordinator to make this thing come together? Because it just adds another layer of uncertainty to a situation where it's not a sure thing anyway. It's Because there's no coaching hire that they're going to make that isn't going to come with, you know, with some questions, with, with, with some uncertainty. When you add an extra layer of uncertainty with kind of not knowing the coordinator piece, that to me is a red flag. And I, I don't know how you feel about that. I'm back, yeah. by the way. I'm yeah, back, by uh, the way, guys. Okay. So, I mean, Justin Wilcox to me, I mean, if, if he is the guy, I don't think it will be, but if he is the guy, then I know that some people are blasé on on him as a as a head coach and who's he going to be able to bring in stuff like that. I think that's the biggest question. Who can he bring in as an offensive coordinator, as a defensive coordinator? He's been very hamstrung by what Cal is able to do because of their budget down there, and and they are just so limited on what they can do. They also can't get certain players in um, from a recruiting standpoint. And the the academic side was not flexible at all. And I know that's been an issue up here at Washington in certain instances, but it's even more so down at Cal. So um, I think, I don't think it would be the worst hire in the world. And I don't, I actually think it could wind up being pretty good. He could have a lot of success at the University of Washington, but a lot is going to depend on who his support staff is. And if the rumors are correct, Kim, he may meet whoever the coach is that they bring in may have six million a year, five to six million dollars a year for their assistant salary pool. And that that's up there with almost everybody in the country. Yeah. And the the reason that I'm really intrigued with Justin Wilcox, and I've told you guys this before, I mean, he's a gym rat. I mean, he's not married, doesn't have kids. And, you know, the rumors of him when he was at University of Washington, it was that's all he does is football. That's the only life he has. Football is his wife. Football is who he has the relationship with. That's all he does. And when you take a look at some of the other guys, let's say, for example, like Kalen DeBoer, you know, coming up from Fresno State, I doubt he's going to bring his entire staff here because I think he's going to need to improve that staff. And if Justin Wilcox was to come here, Justin Wilcox would definitely need to improve his staff. But when you take a look at the background, where's Justin Wilcox been? He was at Boise State for a long time. He was at Tennessee. He's been at Wisconsin. He's been at USC. He's been at Washington. He's got connections with the Oregon people. So he's got all that familiarity with the coaches, and he has a lot more relationships. Personally, I think that Justin would be able to put a better staff together and People are talking about, yeah, but he hasn't had a winning record. Like I said, he was on a roll pretty doing pretty well at Cal until COVID hit. And then City Berkeley, uh, the Cal administration and the county down there just really hamstrung him. First of all, you know, with the good teams, people talk about, well, Jeff Tedford did it. Well, Jeff Tedford could bring in guys like Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers who would never be able to get into Cal today. They changed the academic standards here a few years back at Cal, limiting to who they could get in. We heard that Ethan Garbers wanted to transfer to Cal, but they couldn't get Ethan Garbers in because they're not taking transfers. They can no longer take JC guys, you know, and then, you know, practice, you know, being able to uh, only do practice so many times, so many guys limited in the film room team. It was just so many restrictions on what you could do down at Cal. Um, you know, and people talk about the offense he runs. Well, Bill Musgraves wasn't the guy that he really wanted. I think Bill Musgrave was the guy that he could afford. Um, you know, so um, there's a lot of restrictions, and I know a lot of people just going to go, head's going to explode. But at the end of the day, I think uh, a guy like Justin is a guy that they've kicked the tires on, but I still think that they wind up with um, an, more of an offensive-minded coach uh, who's going to hire, have to hire a really good defensive coordinator. So, Is there anyways. anything you need to update us on from your call or no? I'll tell you guys afterwards. Okay, sounds good. And well, the one, the one last thing I would say to kind of put a bow on the, on the talk about Justin Wilcox is that, again, I, you may be absolutely right, Kim, about the restrictions and, and not wanting to hire the guy that he wanted instead of having to settle for a guy like Musgrave. 
But the fact is, is that he's tried a pro-style guy with Musgrave. He's tried a more wide-open guy with Bo Baldwin, who we we all thought Bo Baldwin that was that was going to be his stepping his stepping point. You know, he he was ready to go. He had won a national championship in Eastern Washington. He was ready to go. He was a he was an up-and-coming guy, and it never worked out. To me, the red flag is okay. He's tried the spread style. He's tried the pro style. He has not been able to find a system that works in his philosophy or whatever. And and you could maybe explain it. I don't understand. But to me, the red flag is they they has not been able to find an offense, and it hasn't been for a lack of trying. So why a, hasn't that worked? Well, I'd be interested to see what he could do with a million dollar budget for a coordinator and a half a million dollars for a second uh, guy on the offensive coordinator staff. So, you know, it would be interesting to see what he could do with a larger budget, you know, so uh, we'll see what what's going on there. But, um, you know, let me just go over a couple of other guys. It looks like Dave Aranda was a guy that Washington was really interested in and uh also, USC was really interested, but everything indicates that he's going to re-sign a contract with Baylor. And probably one of the guys that really intrigued me, I talked to Cooper Patagna. If you listen to the podcast I did with Cooper, who um, was in the recruiting office at Washington, at Oregon, at Michigan, Cincinnati, LSU. So he's been around, but a guy that he really liked was uh, Dave Clawson, the um, uh, head coach at Wake Forest. Sounds like Washington uh, was kicking the tires really hard with Dave Clawson and uh, was really wanting to, you know, get into that mix. But sounds like some uh, personal family uh, issues back in Wake Forest. His wife, you know, it's noted uh, as a breast cancer survivor. He's also got some kids, but it sounds like for personal reasons that Dave Clawson's going to stay at um Wake Forest, and that's a guy it sounds like Washington was really in on and really wanted to get in on, but it looks like he's going to stay at Wake Forest. So, um, how okay? So, Brett Brennan, Brett Brennan's a name that keeps on San Jose State, by the way, for people who don't know. Yeah, and I know the first thing people are going to do is they're going to look at, well, look at what he did this year. Well, he lost his big-time quarterback at the beginning of the year. But I don't think he's a guy for Washington. And, you know, we heard rumors that he might be a candidate for Washington State. But the problem with Washington State, they have no money. They can't afford to buy his buyout from San Jose State. That's why I think that the uh, interim coach, Dickert, is going to be named the coach there because they can afford him. But Brett Brennan was a guy that was a finalist for the Arizona job and. I think he would have done a better job than Jeb Fish, but uh, he used to be at Washington. He was a GA uh, back in the day, but I think that's a name that you need to keep an eye on, not necessarily for Washington, but he's really well uh, thought of and highly thought of down at San Jose State. So just a name to keep an eye on for other openings along the way. Brett Brennan at San Jose State. So, Chris? No, I just say, you know, I just, I know that, uh, you feel like something's going to happen in the next day or two, Kim, but it, it just feels like at least the way the bigger hires are done and especially the way that, that Jen Cohen deals with these things and is very, you know, she, you know, runs it in, in a very buttoned up situation. Yep. You're not, you're going to hear leaks from the major guys, you know, whether it's a Feldman or someone like that, that's where you're probably going to start to really get the, the heavy traction. And then, by the time Washington actually announces it, it'll be it'll be the worst kept secret in Seattle. That's just kind of the way these things go. Yeah, you know, we didn't talk about the guy who I think you know everything's yeah. pointing to right now. Um, Kalen De- Kalen DeBoer, you know, he's the head coach down at Fresno State and uh, really good, solid reputation. I don't have his stats in front of me, but uh, he's won everywhere he's gone. Yeah, um, what was he, 67-3 and three at Sioux Falls? Now, that's NAIA, but he took over for a coach who was a pretty good coach and took his talent and, and went 67-3 and three in, what, four years or five years? There. Yeah, and then in, in five years. He was 49-1 and one in their conference, in the yeah. Great Plains Athletic Conference. Yeah. Won and, three NAIA championships in five years. Yeah. And then went, um, and then went to. I know he's been. He was at Fresno State under Jeff Tedford as the offensive coordinator. Then he went to Indiana, where he had. Is it Penix? Was he the quarterback for him? I'm pretty sure it was Penix. Yeah, there was one um, of those guys. Yeah. So, because I've been looking at since DeBoer has started to emerge as probably the favorite to become the guy over the last 24 hours, I started looking at some of the guys that he's coached because, you know, Washington has 
two guys on the roster right now who are scholarship quarterbacks are well three guys but one of them's leaving two guys on the roster who are scholarship quarterbacks who are more of the drop back passers not not the guys who you're going to use much in the running game although both of them can run a little bit but you know that's not their game their game is uh throwing the ball around distributing it to the guys and um that's kind of what he's been doing with Jake Hayner down there at Fresno state. But I also wanted to see, because I think Washington needs to start going to more of the dual threat quarterbacks, the guys who can, who can both run it and pass it, but be a a primary threat as a runner, not just a guy who can make plays with his legs when things break down. So, um, and he, you know, Penix was that guy. He, they didn't use him that much that way, but when they did, he was always able to ha- find some success. Yeah. And when I see, uh, the Fresno state play and I see the offense that he's running with Jay Kane and I go, yeah, I'd like to see Sam Heward be able to throw the ball downfield like that. So, um, you know, a lot of interesting stuff from Kalen DeBoer, but you know, when you talk about, um, you know, the downfall of Justin Wilcox's record, but where, uh, Kalen DeBoer may have the record, but, um, you know, would Kalen DeBoer be able to put a staff together? There's a big difference. You know, when Coach Pete came here, Pete, Coach Pete had a way of recruiting at Boise State, and he had to turn 180 degrees on that, and it took him a while to adjust. He wasn't used to getting his nose bloodied by Notre Dame, USC, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ohio State, and Michigan. And that's a big step up when you're talking about recruiting, and that's why I think if they hire a guy, you know, like Kalen DeBoer, I think the staff that he assembles is going to be critical and He's got one guy on the staff down there, Chris, that Washington fans would be familiar with. Yeah, Kirby Moore, um, obviously Kellen Moore's brother. And, um, you know, a lot of people think that that he's a guy whose star is on the rise, too. He, he, he coaches the receivers with them. The other thing I'd note, too, is that their their offensive coordinator, uh, Ryan Grubb, is a guy that's kind of come up the ranks with DeBoer. Um, and he is a quarterback's coach as well, and he's coached quarterbacks a couple different places, but he really came up as an offensive line guy. And I think to me personally, that's something that I would think as an offensive, if you're looking to see how they can improve the offense right away, you need to have someone who could really overhaul that offensive line and get them doing something different because right now <laughs> it's a mess. And their offensive line coach right now at Fresno State's a guy named Roman Sapolu. And, um, you know, again, you know, don't want to stereotype it, don't want to get in, into that realm. And we don't know what the future for a guy like Akaka Malloy might be, but they need to keep that pipeline going with, with, the, with the Polynesian kids and because and, they've had a great amount of success with that. They need to continue with that. And, and so there's definitely a few things to really, really like uh, about what's going on if you really look a little closer with this Fresno State staff, for instance. And there's another guy that will be familiar to some some Washington fans, and not necessarily for the good reasons, because he was a coach in the Tyron Willingham era, but one of the coaches at Fresno State right now who's the defensive pass game coordinator, J.D. Williams, a guy that we know very well. Yeah, I didn't know he was down there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, J- good old J.D., Curtis Williams' brother. Yep. Yeah. Um, hey, just another name that's kind of, you know, the, he was a hot, hot name and uh, seems to have faded, but uh, seems probably going to be in the championship series. Uh, Luke Fickle uh, at Cincinnati, hot, hot, hot name. But, it, you know, it looks like he's going to be playing, you know, after New Year's Day in the college football championship. And, you know, people that are looking to get coaches higher, I don't think anybody can wait that long. So I think Luke Fickle is out of the out of reach or out of consideration because because of his success how's that how's that rub you scott out of consideration because of his success yeah i know well think about this kim now you've made some mention on the message boards and i'll ask you right now don't go in a lengthy thing because i i've got a scenario for you do i ever go lengthy (laughs) yes you do sometimes um go mario cristobal that's a name i'll throw at you but then i got a scenario to throw at you guys after that I just keep on hearing that, you know, and we've been hearing it for a while, but boy, it's really started to heat up because uh, Mario Cristobal in Oregon, and he's from Miami. He played at Miami, his father of Cuban uh, Cuban heritage and immersed into the Cuban culture down there in Miami. Mario's wife is a former Miss Florida. 
the athletic director who lots of rumors out there that Mario did not get along with has been fired and there's going to be a new athletic director and, uh, Boy, it just see, doesn't seem to go away. The Mario Cristobal and his wife will pack up and head to South okay. Beach. Okay, so let's let's look at it this way. Do you see Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon before they play in the? Let's say they win today against Oregon State. They're gonna that puts them against Utah. Do you see him leaving before that? Before the Utah game? Before well, before the Pac-12 title game. No. Okay, but so but, hold, on, hold but, on. But just real quick, you're not listening. I've also heard th- one of the rumors is the deal's been in place for a couple weeks. Okay, so he doesn't he doesn't leave before the Pac-12 title game, right? Yeah. Well, that does not really allow him much time at all to salvage any kind of recruiting class from Miami, right? So maybe he doesn't leave right away, or if he does whatever what if oregon says to themselves look we just lost mario cristobal to miami luke fickle is willing to leave what if luke fickle ended up there don't see that happening um i mean i've got a pretty good connection down at cincinnati and luke fickle is a um, midwest guy he's got six kids he got Mm -hmm. six kids um you know from my understanding he's the he's that midwest guy who's not going to leave and the job that you know that i've heard that he would have been interested was uh, penn state because there was a lot of talk of james franklin possibly mm-hmm. going to lsu or to usc but losing his last three games pretty much put a damper on that and then he signed a 10-year contract extension with penn state so from my understanding that would have been a job that he would have been interested in and you know if Scott Woodward, you know, he's down there with that Brinks truck and Ryan Day says, uh, Lincoln Riley says, no, he might just go up the street to Ohio State and offer it to Ryan Day at Ohio State. And, you know, uh, Fickle's got a history at Ohio State, too. And that might be a job that he might be willing to take. So, you know, and they've already got that recruiting class together and it could happen after signing day anyways. But uh, I don't see Luke Fickle going to, um, you know, from who I've talked to, you know, and Oregon, I'm just going to get slaughtered on social media and on the Oregon site over even mentioning this, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'd say right now from my, I'd I'd give a 50, 50 chance, you know, with uh, Mario being gone. Would they settle on DeRoyter? Do you think? Uh, DeRoyter, not as a head coach. And they've also got Joe Moorhead there that they could elevate, but I think they'd shoot for bigger and higher because, I don't know. But yeah. Who else is out there? Yeah, there you go. Well, that's the that's the question, you know, and the longer it goes, the we're, you know, the harder it's going to get, but then, you know, we've got the whole NFL coaching carousel that hasn't begun either, you know, which usually happens a little bit later. So, this is what's so fun about this time of year. You know, we just well, there's, one one more there's guy no wanna... reason, there's no reason Oregon can't back up the truck for Mario like Michigan State did for Mel Tucker and Franklin, you know, they they did that okay. at him uh, for him at Penn State, but that's the thing like you know, if Tucker had jumped for LSU or jumped somewhere else, you know, I, I think that was a job that um, Fickle would have probably looked at pretty heavily, and I'm sure they would have coveted him yeah. big time. Because again, I, I think I agree 100%. Kim, he's a Midwest guy. I don't see Fickle coming out here. I don't. See, my my big thing is, you know, when you, you're married to a former Miss Florida, and her parents are in Miami, and your parents are in Miami, and you played in Miami, and you know, you take Miss Florida and put her in Eugene, and she's been in Eugene now for a few years. And hey, baby, we can either go back home to South Beach or we could stay here in Eugene. <laughs> It'd be an interesting conversation. It'd be an interesting conversation. So uh, we'll see what happens. Hey, uh, real quick, another name that uh, you know I'd heard a couple weeks ago, but uh, doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, Jeff Brom, the uh, coach at Purdue, was a guy that was heavily mentioned because he. Um, uh, you know, had a connection to uh, Jason Budakofer, uh, who's an associate athletic director from uh, came here from Purdue and a connection there. But it sounds like his numbers for buyout and everything else are just out of control, just way, way, way too high. Yeah, I sent you something, Kim. Don't I'll worry. Right yeah, he, he's getting paid. So it's it's, you know, Brom would have been 
an interesting hire, but he is he would be spendy, very spendy. Yes, way too spendy, I think. And and another another thing to consider is that's a guy who he wants to eventually coach at an NFL te- coach at an NFL team. If he has any kind of success at Washington or his next job, wherever it is, um, he's probably going to the NFL. Now that would mean Washington had success, but still. Right. Well, the other know, thing you, too with Brom is, is that he's had some nice wins at Purdue, but it's not like he's been crushing it. No, not, not for the, not no. for those, not for those kind of dollars. Not at least no. not, not, not my opinion. My texts and phone calls sometimes get a little crazy, guys. They do get a little crazy. So, um, hey, just uh, anything else on the coaching search before I move on to something I definitely want to talk about? Nope. Nothing on my part because we've talked about the guy that we all think is going to make it. Well, and again, you know, we're at that point now, guys, where we can post this out. And within two hours, everything we've talked about has been blown out of the water. Within how long? A couple hours. Yeah, no, 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, 10 minutes. Well, okay, thank you for proving my point. Yeah, no, this is this is the time of where, where basically anything that's put down, uh, you know, in the recording, you can almost assuredly believe that it's it doesn't have a shelf life of very long. Walking out of the tunnel, I mean, for those who don't know, when we do post-game, the post-game interviews, we go up uh, the tunnel and to the left, there's the old team room, uh, you know, inside the tunnel at Husky Stadium. And then uh, coming out of there, we walk down the tunnel. And if you look to your right, that leads to a whole nother corridor where the locker rooms and the weight rooms and everything is. But, uh, you know, walking down the tunnel last night and then seeing Bob Gregory, you know, turn right and go back into the locker room and then coming out uh, of the tunnel inside Husky Stadium. And I'm walking along there and uh i see a kaika malloy and his family and um i don't know how many of you personally know a kaika but uh when it comes to uh quality people i don't think they get any better than a kaika um real loyal guy his guys love him uh he's a great father um he's got a great family he's got a son that's a senior at kennedy uh high school and, you know, he made a point to come over and talk to me a little bit. It was really just hard, you know, just to see a guy like that who's so humble and his family and to know his future is up in the air and he doesn't know where he's going to land, you know. And um, God, my phone again. I'll get that one later. Um, just just the uncertainty in his eye of not knowing what's going to happen. And, you know, I told him I hope to see him back. And I asked him how his son at Kennedy was doing. And he goes, well, he's looking for a walk-on place you know he's he's a good high school football player he's not a scholarship guy but you know he's looking for some place to play football and you know possibly walk on at UW so kind of a tough conversation with um Akaika Malloy you guys know what a great guy he is and then uh, yeah he posted something on Twitter last night just saying uh, thanks for everything Husky fans and everything so well and it's yeah. super tough for a guy like that too because it's his alma mater you know he yeah. played at Washington this is what he knows this is what he loves and it's you know, it's difficult to say goodbye. And it's, um, you know, it's not like the coaching staff deserves a lot of praise this year. Um, they did a lot of damage, you know, but it started at the top. I mean, let's, let's be real fair about that. It started yeah. right at the top and a guy like Malloy didn't all of a sudden stop learning how to coach. He's a quality coach and he's a good well, recruiter and he's an asset to any staff. And so could he end up on a staff with a, with a, with a guy like Kalen DeBoer. I mean, we, you know, we're speculating obviously, but uh, no reason why it couldn't happen. No reason why it couldn't happen. Yeah. What's always, I always find interesting is I talked to a lot of, you know, we saw a lot of former players last night and then, you know, I got phone calls from former coaches and, you know, they all tell me, you know, I, I would say that a majority of the coaches that have been here at one time would be back here in a heartbeat. They loved it here. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, ran into Tim Saha, you know, the strength and conditioning coach. And, you know, he's on the field with his family, you know, showing uncertainty because he doesn't know what's going on. And he said, you know, he's blessed enough to have a, you know, playing career at Boise State and then be at Boise State for a long time and have a good run here. And he said, you know, in this business, you tend to be a vagabond and a lot of college football jobs are not in the best areas to raise families. When you stop and think about where a lot of college football teams play, I'm not sure I'd want to live in a lot of them, you know, so this is a pretty good place to live. This is a pretty good place to raise a family. And I also gave him a hard time because we used to do strength coach radio with Ivan Lewis when Stark was here. We tried our best to get an interview of any type with uh, Tim Saha. He just wasn't having any of that. 
it was almost comical at times. We weren't having any. I'll, I'll tell you one quick story with Tim. Um, he's a really good guy, and all the guys love him. And I was having trouble with for those who understand what a T-band is. And my T-band was just killing me. And I asked, I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, I'm not going on the radio. I said, no, no, no. I said, my T-band's killing me. How? What do I do? And his exact words were, I tell you what to do, but you're not going to do it because it hurts and you're a pussy. <laughs> what do I need to do? He goes, the only thing you can do is get on the foam roller and it's going to hurt. and You're not going to do it. But that's just the kind of guy Tim was, you know, so uh, I'm going to miss Tim Saha, too, if he doesn't return. So um, wish him well as with all the coaches. And just real quick, and I, I hate to go on because I don't like to talk, you know, go on and ramble. But, um, you know, the one good thing is when um, Tyrone got fired. A lot of coaches had bought houses up here. The real estate market was in the toilet. And there was a lot of coaches that were upside down on their home purchases. I know coaches that had to cash in retirement to pay off, you know, the shortness of uh, their home loans to get out of the houses that they had when they were here. Anybody on this coaching staff that bought a house, I think they're going to be okay. So there's a little bit of a silver lining there. So I think they'll be okay on their home purchases. So. Anyways, uh, final thoughts, Chris Fetters. I got yeah, phone just, calls. Uh, I, think I got phone Washington, calls to return. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, but just uh, I think Washington fans need to need to flush the Apple Cup down the toilet. Uh, don't even watch the tape. Don't even worry about it. Um, it was kind of a doomed thing from the start. Kind of a <laughs> uh, fool's errand, honestly, in a number of ways. And I think it it is unfortunate that the coaches thought that Sam Heward was the, was the, was going to be the answer. Um, but bottom line is, this is a this is a real this is kind of a tragic situation in many in many senses. Um, you know, I I don't understand why Jimmy Lake decided to blow up what Chris Chris Peterson built, um, especially after kind of, you know, really saying that he was very much a disciple of what Peterson was doing with Built for Life and all that stuff. But he was so insistent on doing it in his own way. Um, he ultimately. It, it was the rope that ultimately hung his coaching career on, and 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 it's sad to see, and it really had ripple effects throughout the entire season for obvious reasons, and it rippled down through his coaches, and uh, and really affected what they could do and how they could do it, and we saw all of that come into just <laughs> into a just a an absolute uh, car crash uh, during the Apple Cup. So don't watch it. You know, Washington fans can just flush that one down the toilet. You got a new coach coming soon. I know Kim thinks it could be a day or two. I think it might be a day or two when the rumors start coming out. I think Washington may announce it a few days after that, but it'll end up being the worst, the worst kept secret in Seattle. And hopefully, it's uh, it's a it's a coach that you know everyone can rally around, not just the players and coaches, but the fans can as well. Um, you know, obviously, there's going to be a lot of transfer portal activity. We'll be on top of it, coming and going. I think there's a lot of Washington fans out there that think that this just is going to be a mass exodus. But I think what people need to understand about that as well is that this signals opportunities for guys, guys that maybe were in the doghouse or were afterthoughts um, and not given consideration by the staff for whatever reason. So there's always guys that are in the pipeline coming and going. We'll see how that works. There is going to be some some turnover. That's natural. Um, but it's an exciting time, and I think you, you, it's positive momentum going forward. That's what I would say. Scott Eklund, final thoughts. And, and by the way, I just want to give a thanks, Scott. Thanks for hitting the record button today. But yeah, go ahead. Thanks. Final thoughts. Appreciate final that. Thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I I echo everything that Chris said. You know, you're just going to have to flush this one and and realize that you know Washington just didn't have it this year. And for whatever reason, whether, I mean, a lot of it was coaching, a lot of it was, uh, you know, injuries, but whatever it was, this, this team did not look good all season long. And that continued again in the apple cup. The good thing is that we're turning a page and a new staff is going to be here. I believe Jen Cohn will go out and find a very quality head coach to come in and, and be the, uh, Guy to lead this program back into the into the rankings and back into back into um, being one of the national powers that it should be, and uh, well, you know it's exciting. It's 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 an exciting time and it's exciting time to be around Dogman.com because Kim, what is going on this weekend? 
Well, I, we always kind of say, you know, what's rule number one? We only have one rule at dogmandog.com. What's rule number one, you guys? Don't be a dumbass. <laughs> Pretty much all we need, but we got a promo running. And if you're not a subscriber to dogman.com, if you don't get on this with uh, within the next couple of days, I think you're going to have a violation of rule number one. We only do this once a year, 75% off on an annual subscription, and it includes CBS, Paramount Plus, lots of good stuff on Paramount Plus, and kind of like the way I'm justifying it, if your wife's going to look at that credit card bill and saying, what are you doing? Tell her you bought Paramount Plus, because if you bought Paramount Plus for a year, it's going to be more expensive than Dogman. But uh, yeah, after your seven-day trial uh, period expires, you'll get uh, free Paramount Plus included in 75% off on dogman.com, which... You know, you just can't beat. So, uh, you know, tell your friends if they've thought about joining Dogman and, you know, no better time to do it now. And this is going to be the last promotion we're going to have for a while. And we've been doing this a long time and we've worked our butts off. And if you go back to the longtime subscribers to what we used to do to what we do now, I mean, we used to try to put out a couple stories, you know, a week maybe. And now we're usually minimum at four stories a day, you know, so just a lot going on. And for those who, just looking at the front page and they don't really get on the message boards uh you know uh because they can't read that's where all the good information is going to be you're not going to find it on the front page you're going to find it on the message boards like where these private planes are landing and where they're taking off to and who owns them so uh there's all kinds of crazy stuff out on the message boards so no better time to uh subscribe to dogman.com now also um if you're looking for uh the daily updates as well as breaking news alerts you want to be alerted when there's a commit or a coaches announced shoot us a note husky stadium at gmail.com we will get you hooked up husky stadium at gmail.com subject line newsletter we will get you hooked up it's going to be a busy couple of days, guys. Scott, don't schedule anything. Oh, and one more thing. We've got basketball tonight. Um, uh, Winthrop, 7 o'clock uh, tip-off. And uh, Hey, you yeah. know what? I've got a theory. What's that? New coach hired tonight. You know why? Because we're all going to be scattered and gone. At the game. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened when Sark <laughs> was hired. We were at the basketball game. in the stands. Betters will be in the press box, and you'll be on the floor. Well, and I'm having a pregame meal. I'm going out for a pregame meal. Guess where I'm going for a pregame basketball meal, guys? Take a guess. Varlamos? Going to Varlamos. Get some chicken palm. I'm going to be right across the street from you. You going to Jack's? Yeah, baby. Yeah, you go ahead and go to Jack's. I'm going to Varlamos, and I'm going to eat in Varlamos. Yeah, I love Varlamos, but special night with some friends that are in town. All right. Hey, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. We are recording. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.